Welcome to Bridge City Church. We are here to lead people in a deeper relationship with Jesus and to grow the church locally, nationally and internationally. We pray you are blessed by this message. And during the worship and sometimes during the prayer time after the the worship, um, she would become distressed and the leaders would pray over her and uh, I guess cast out any curses or demons that were on her, troubling her. And after the first occasion this happened, I thought, well, that's done and dusted. But in the service the next week, the scenario repeated. Once again, we prayed for her and she went home in peace. And this scenario was repeated every week. And after four or five weeks, I must confess I was becoming a little bit cynical about what was going on? Was this for real or was, she, was this just an act? But it was then that God spoke to me and showed me, we opened my eyes to what was going on. As this lady was worshipping God and drawing close to God, he was beginning a refining process within her. Consider an iron smelter. The smelter is heated up with iron ore and a reducing agent. And uh, as the process begins, the, uh, the purified iron sinks to the bottom of the smelter and the slag, that is the unwanted waste, floats to the top. The slag can then be drained off and removed, leaving the purified iron. And I realised that this lady, as this lady drew close to God in worship each week, uh, that she was being purified on the inside and that the slag, you know, the, the waste, rubbish in her life was coming to the surface where it was being removed when we prayed for her. And this cleansing process only last continued for another week or two after I'd realised this and then it was done. And this whole process was an eye-opener for me. When we think of curses... We usually think of uh, people casting spells or maybe in the case of voodoo, getting a doll that represents somebody and sticking pins into it. So Romans 8, 37 to 39 tells us, Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for us is never in doubt. He's infinitely more powerful than Satan and yet these verses don't guarantee that we'll be set, that we will be always free from Satan's attacks and from demonic curses. I'm not trying to sow doubt or worry into your minds. I'm simply trying to point out that at any given time, given any opportunity, Satan will try and derail your life. Consider the story of Job in the Bible. Right? It's found in the book of Job. Job was an upright and godly man who wanted God in all he did. And then Satan, <clears throat> the devil, came along and tried to drive a wedge between Job and God by getting Job to believe that God is unfair. 
And look, he tries to use that same lie with us as well. We need to recognise and not fear Satan's attacks because Satan cannot exceed the limits that God sets. Satan's always looking for ways that he can drive a wedge between ourselves and God and it's here that curses often come into play. Curses can be much more subtle than we realise. Some years ago I read Joyce Meyer's book, Me and My Big Mouth. Maybe some of you have read it. And to sum it up in a few sentences, she points out that the words coming out of our mouths often fall into one of two groups. It's either a blessing or a curse. And we speak these words over ourselves all the time. And if these words are in the form of a curse, whether intentionally or unintentionally, they will have an effect. For example, if parents were continually telling their children how they're stupid and they'll never succeed, effectively they are speaking a curse over their children's lives. And uh, I guess for those of us who are a bit older, we know from experience that children that are spoken to that way, you know, it crushes their spirit and they don't usually succeed. Some people speak negatively of themselves. They might break something and say, oh, I'm so clumsy or I'm so stupid. What they are voicing is not a blessing. It's in fact a curse. Unfortunately, we don't usually recognise the impact of what we're saying. Um, and in this world, it mightn't seem all that important. But in the spiritual dimension, it carries Wait. Some of you may have read some of Robert Henderson's books. He's one of my favourite writers. He usually writes books about the courts of heaven. In one of his books he tells how one of his sons was a youth pastor in another state uh, and he lived in North America. And while he was there, his marriage failed. His wife decided she didn't want to be in ministry with him. And the divorce separated him from those that he loved, that is his wife and his daughter. And Robert's son found himself in a place of deep depression. And Robert writes that over the next couple of years he tried everything he could to free his son from the depression. His son worked from 3pm to 11pm every day and then he would come home, go to his room and play online video games all night. And this was his way of dealing with the pain and the loss that he had suffered. And so Robert had prayed vigilantly for his son every day but saw no change and he became frustrated that his son appeared to be no, making no effort to help himself. One day as he was praying he felt to come to the courts of heaven and began to repent on behalf of his son. And he prayed, as he prayed, he felt that there was a release. But then God spoke to him and said, Now you repent for the negative things that you've said about your son in your frustration. He immediately realized that the devil had been using his words to bring accusations before God concerning his son. The Lord showed him that the accuser before the throne was actually. You know, saying before God's throne, look, 
about this man. Even his father is saying these things about him. And Robert immediately repented for what he had said about his son. And about a week and a half later, his son rang to say that the depression had lifted about a week and a half ago and he was now ready to seek God's direction for his life once again. And he's now once again in ministry. Let's read Matthew 12, 36 and 37. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by our words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Empty words. Jesus is warning us about the words we speak. And often we don't mean them, but we say them anyway. Right? The words, these words are like a curse we speak over others. And when I understood this, I began to repent for any negative words I might have spoken over my children. Down here, yep. And as a leader, I repented for any negative words I may have spoken over other people in our church. Wasn't too many, but some. If you're an authority figure, such as a parent, a teacher, a work manager, a club president or a church leader, be careful of what you say concerning those you have authority over. If you're speaking negatively, negatively concerning others, then in the spiritual realm, you are cursing them. Let's look at some instance, instances in the Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, David is distressed when he hears of the death of King Saul and the sons and his sons on the mountains of Gilboa. And in his grief, David curses the mountains of Gilboa. Let's read from verse 21. It says, Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. For the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. So it seems that before David's curse, apparently crops grew on the terrace fields of Mount Gilboa. But after his curse, nothing grew. And in recent times, attempts have been made to reforest Mount Gilboa. And however, on one side, trees will not grow. And we've got a uh, picture, if we can put it up. There it is. So, as you can see, on the, on the left side there's trees and in the foreground, but on Mount Gilboa itself, nothing grows. And when I was researching this, it seems that a few years ago, people were surprised that some um, uh, wildflowers popped up there after rain in the spring. But when I look at this picture, I can't help but think, whoa, what goes on in the spiritual has, has a is more powerful than we realise. Right? Here's David speaking a curse over that mountain, but nothing's going to grow, and still nothing grows there. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we read the story of Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Although a successful man, Naaman had a serious problem. He had leprosy. And in those days, that was a terminal illness. 
he hears of Elisha, the prophet in Israel, and he goes to him for help. And after following Elijah's advice and bathing seven times in the Jordan River, he's healed. And gratefully returns to Elisha, wishing to give him gold and silver and uh, clothing. However, Elisha refuses to take any payment. Naaman and his retinue set off for home. But after they've gone some distance, Elisha's servant Gehazi decides that he would like some of the treasures offered to Elisha by Naaman. So he runs after Naaman and tells him a story about Elisha needing money and clothes for some visitors who had turned up unexpectedly. This story was, of course, completely untrue. But Naaman, being grateful for his healing, was happy to help out. So let's read from verse 23. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. And he gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man came down from the chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olives, groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Name's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went out from Elisha's, Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Not a good ending for Gehazi. The curse of Elisha, the man of God, took effect immediately. Let's look at one more case. We probably all know the story of Joshua and the battle at Jericho, where the seemingly impregnable walls of the city fell down and the Israelites entered the city and burned it. Joshua then pronounced a curse on the city of Jericho. And if we read Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, it says, At that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. And at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So Joshua is saying that whoever rebuilds the city will lose the life of his eldest and his youngest son. That should be reason enough to stay away from rebuilding the city, you would think. Now let's read 1 Kings 16.34. In Ahab's time, Hoel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his younger son, Segob. In accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. But the story of Jericho doesn't end there. 
Jericho was a city rebuilt against the command of God. And although newly rebuilt, there was a problem with the water supply. People were really sick, animals, nothing would grow. And the people of Jericho asked Elisha for help. Let's look at 2 Kings 21, 19-22. The people of the city said to Elisha, Look, Lord, this town is well situated. And as you can see, the, the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So, out of kindness, Elisha removed what remained of the curse. So, you can see that curses have consequences and they may affect our lives whether we recognise it or not. As I was um, preparing this, I came across and read Derek Prince's book, How to Pass from Curse to Blessing. It's an interesting read if you get hold of it. Writing from his own experience with praying with people, he came up with seven indications of a curse. I'm going to read them out to you, but before I do, let me make it really clear to you that if these events have happened to you only once or rarely, it doesn't mean (laughs) that you have a curse, all right? If these events or a number of these events happen to you regularly, then you should seek the Lord for insight. The first thing, mental and or emotional breakdown. If a breakdown occurs just once in your life, there could be other causes, right? However, if it's a thing that occurs frequently in your family, then you can can consider it a curse. Secondly, repeated or chronic illness. This doesn't necessarily indicate that every form of sickness is a result of a curse. I'm just not suggesting that, but it's particularly significant where there's no clear medical diagnosis. If certain types of sickness are hereditary, that is, you know, passed down from generation to generation, this is also a common sign of the effect of a curse. Number three, barrenness, a tendency to miscarry or related female problems. Quite often problems connected with reproduction affect all the females of a family. Number four, a breakdown of marriage and family alienation. Number five, continuing financial insufficiency. God's will for his people is abundance. Paul has summed it up in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Poverty is having less than you need to do all of God's will in your life. Abundance, on the other hand, is having all you need to do God's will and something over to give to others. Number six, 
being accident prone. Some people have lots of accidents. Um, I know a pastor whose youngest son always seemed to be having accidents. It seemed like every two or three months they were, seemed to be taking him to the hospital to be stitched up or repaired. He was just doing stuff that boys normally do, but somehow he kept getting injured more badly. And after a while, his parents realised that there was something going on here, so they prayed over him and broke off any curse or demonic influence on his life. And after that, the accidents ceased. Number seven, a history of suicides and unnatural or untimely deaths. So this is a list suggested by Derek Prince. Excuse me a moment. So that was the list. Hopefully it might have given you something to think about. For me, personally, two things have caught my attention. Firstly, I have an eye disease which is hereditary. So now I'm beginning to pray for it from that viewpoint. I'm treating it as a curse, not just as an, as a, uh, as an, an illness. But the second thing there is relates to our finances. I believe that God wants this abundance for his people and yet, to be honest, for many years I seem to have struggled along financially. I've um, paid my tithes, given my time to the running of the church. I haven't gambled or acted irresponsibly with my money. But for years just seemed to struggle along financially. And near the end of last year... I began to ask the Lord why this was so. And uh, about Christmas time, when we were at our sons away, um, I was praying about it and the Lord showed me. In the late 1970s, or in the 70s, I worked as a, uh, a lay pastor with the Methodist Church, which then became part of the Uniting Church. And um, in one of the churches I pastored, there was a period of financial abundance. And we decided as a church, to give one week's tithes and offerings to a missions organisation. It sounded like a good idea, but somehow we never got around to doing it. The treasurer never paid it, and I never followed up on it. And I guess as the pastor, I was ultimately responsible. After some months our church finances began to go downhill and soon our church was struggling financially and we could no longer, were no longer able to make this donation. I don't remember making the connection between the loss of our finances and our broken promises at the time. So when I remembered that back in December, I knew I had to repent because I'd treated it so casually. So I humbled myself and repented for cutting off this promise of blessing to some Christian organisation. I felt a release from this, and this year our finances have seen a turnaround. Um, it's starting with it started with an organisation coming out of the grass and admitting that they owed us money, which they paid. But it didn't stop there. Small amounts have continued to come to us. 
And um, as some of you know, I own an oil press. And two weeks ago, a company that I didn't even know, never heard of, um, approached me and asked if I could press some oil from seeds for them. And I was really surprised. And I'm thanking God for his continuing support. And I've now begun trials in processing their seeds. For that, I'm thankful. But what's really caught my attention is the fact that this hasn't been a one-off event. If it only happened once, then it may have been a fluke, but it has continued on. Something has changed. Since realising where I went wrong, I noticed that breaking covenants and promises before God comes at a cost. Here's a couple of quick verses. Ecclesiastes 5, 4-5 say, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfil it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfil your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfil it. Psalm 89 34 says, I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. And Proverbs 25.14 said, Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. So in my case, I'm not suggesting that God cursed me for breaking a promise we'd made, but rather I'd left myself open to accusation from Satan. He's been able to come before God and say, you can't trust Trevor with money because he's already broken his promise to help other Christians. I failed to understand the possible consequences taking place in the spiritual world. Some of you might be thinking this sounds a bit far-fetched, but if you look at 2 Samuel 21 you find that during the reign of King David, there was a drought for three successive years. And when David inquired of the Lord why this drought was taking place, he discovered that during the reign of King Saul, Israel had broken its covenant with the Gibeonites. Reading the first two verses of chapter 21, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord and the Lord said, it's on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not part of Israel but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them years earlier, I might add. But Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. So we can see that breaking a covenant is a sin in God's eyes. So to wrap this up, here are some, some, seven, some steps that Derek Prince suggested that you can take to receive release from a curse. Firstly, confess your, sin in, your, sorry, confess your faith in Christ and his sacrifice on your behalf, which we would all have done as Christians. Repent of all your rebellion and sin. Receive forgiveness for all of your sins. If you've repented, God's going to forgive you and you can receive this forgiveness. 
forgive all those who have ever harmed or wronged you. can be a challenge sometimes. Renounce all contact with the occult or satanic things. And now we're able to pray a prayer of release, which is suggested by Derek Prince. So I'm going to read this out. And if you wish, you can read along with me or you can read along quietly. So um, let's uh, read this out together. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Son of God and the only way to God and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. I give you, sorry, give, give up all my rebellion and all my sin and I submit myself to you as my Lord. I confess all my sins before you and ask for your forgiveness, especially for any sins that have exposed me to a curse. Release me also from the consequences of my ancestors' sins. By decision of my will, I forgive all those who have harmed or wronged me, just as I want God to forgive me. And in particular, I forgive, and you can just insert someone's name there if you need to, I renounce all contact with anything occult or satanic. If I have any contact objects, I commit myself to destroy them. I cancel all Satan's claims against me. Lord Jesus, I believe that on the cross you took on yourself every curse that could ever come upon me. So I ask you now to release me from every curse on my life. In your name, Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, I now receive my release and I thank you for it. Amen. Now, believe that you've received this release and go on in God's blessing. Let's pray together. Father, you're the only one who has enough justice to be able to forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray that you just give us wisdom to, uh, for us to move forward as godly people. And in Jesus' name, not my name, in Jesus' name now, Lord, I pray for release for everybody here, for release from fear, from intimidation, for release from control, for release from demonic spirit for release from rejection. And Lord, I've spoken this over the people now in your name. And we know, Lord, I just know that we can go now set free. Thank you for the breakthrough in the lives of these people, each person here. Lord, I just pray all this in Jesus' name, that we are going forward in a new way, in a new breakthrough. And Lord, I just pray your blessing over each person. And as we go, Lord, you're just going to go with us and we're just going to know that your presence is with us. Lord, we ask this, we pray this now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today. If you would like to find out more, you can get in touch with us on our website at bridgecitychurch.com.au. See you next time.